Hi, this is Deb, host of Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. Today I'm talking to Enzo. He is a supportive member of the UFO community, a retired U.S. Air Force veteran, occasional tech guru, and someone who has had two sightings of a UFO. Welcome, Enzo. Thank you very much, Deb. Glad to be here. I'm so thrilled that you joined me today. I wish everyone else could appreciate how much of a tech guru you are for us. You let us know about the cool gadgets and gizmos, <laughs> but unfortunately, since this is an audio podcast, no one else is going to appreciate it right now. <laughs> all, all my stuff is visual. I can't help anybody from here, but that's okay. We still have wisdom to share. That's true. And I'm sure that you're helping other people. And that's one of the big reasons I wanted you to come on here is you're there for so many people who are in YouTube, uh, in the UFO community, trying to get out there with their messages. And I appreciate that. So thank you for doing that. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to help. I, I always try and help anybody that looks like they could use a hand. Mm -hmm. Well, we, that's probably all of us. <laughs> Well, at one point or another, it usually is. So yes, it's always, yes. I just hope that someone returns that favor whenever I need help. So. Okay. Well, yeah, you just let us know, Enzo. You just let us know because you're such a good person. Just let us know. But let's go ahead and um, start breaking down while you're, why you're here today. Um, before we go too much into the sightings that you've had, I'd like to just clarify, could you please tell people what your position was when you were in the U.S. Air Force? Well, uh, not to burst anybody's bubble, but I'll start as I don't know where any UFOs are. I, that's, uh, but uh, I, I went into the Air Force December of 1985. I was a KC-135 crew chief, which means uh, general technician. Basically, I was an aircraft mechanic. Mm -hmm. And a KC-135, those are one of the planes that can refuel other aircraft in the air. Okay, that's pretty cool. So you um, probably know a little bit about how crafts work and things like that, I do, right? I do. I uh, know, know the ins and outs of uh, how they work, how, well, at least how our, our aircraft are put together and uh, mm -hmm. all the different components with that. And uh, I had other jobs throughout my career uh, that kind of took me away from the hands-on maintenance side, but were maintenance related that uh, further went on to expand my, I mean, I, I was dealing with like wildlife and things like that. So I've got a lot of experience of uh, watching many different types of aircraft, um, many different kinds of birds and wildlife and uh, photographing it in my own personal hobby of astronomy, uh, what I feel I bring to the community is uh, being able to help, not exactly be, I, I'm a more polite Nick West, I guess, uh, when it comes down to it, which to be honest, he's still a nice guy. He's misunderstood. Yeah, I think I'd like to interview him one day, actually, because I think he's, he actually really wants hard proof because he believes and he wants something that's irrefutable that he can present personally. That's what I think. I, I agree. Uh, he, he's actually a, a pretty funny guy. If you catch him in other interviews uh, that mm -hmm. he's done lately. And uh, the honest truth is, is we kind of need a Mick West to keep us honest. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody films a light in the sky and, you know, regardless of what, how fancy your phone camera is, uh, a, a dark, a light pinpoint, a distance away in a dark sky 
it just doesn't work that well. I don't. I, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've I've seen my fair share of star videos. I won't deny that. Like, unfortunately, once you start getting into this topic, people uh, start sending you lots of videos, right? And so there's gonna be a few star videos, you know. And yep, I've, uh, I've and and other people that have like uh, other higher tech camera gear and they'll they'll f film something on there it's like ah, i'm sorry man that's a bird if you see it right here you can sort of see where the wings flap yeah but this was three o'clock in the morning it's like yeah there's birds flying around at three o'clock in the morning i know <laughs> it's tough because we know there are there are of course valid videos some of the ones we're seeing are valid but there's so many that are not so many that are not even on purpose necessarily, but so many that are just false flags, you know, all over the place. And there's obviously not UAPs. It is one of those cases where you get so used to seeing one. It's like, that's almost too good. It can't be. Okay. It's CGI, you know, and it, it is at that point where it's like, well, what if the real deal comes down and they've got a really good camera and the lighting's just right. And it looks almost too good. Are we going to doubt it? because there's so much fakery out there sometimes. Well, and you know, even some of the um, original photos, some of the ones that haven't been considered hoaxed, I look at them and I'm like, well, technically that could be a real object, right? That right. could be an object that someone threw across in front of the camera, <laughs> which I think we've already established is what um, some people did, right? We already know yeah, that that's exactly what some of them are, but uh, right. there's still a plenty of those uh, classic old uh, pictures and videos from you know the 50s and 60s, but pre CGI days that you kind of have to look at a little curiously. It's like, well, I'm not sure how they would have faked that back then. Well, I think I, I have to say that I appreciate also people who are able to sit us down sometimes and say, okay, that's a star. Um, so, yes, there is definitely a need for that. There's definitely a need to rule those things out. In fact, people who would want to join MUFON, for instance, would have to know, you know, more about astronomy before they could do that, because there's going to be so many encounters like that. But what's exciting is that, as we know, there's a percentage of things that are not stars that are showing up. I think that the, the big problem is that they don't necessarily pose for photos. <laughs> yeah, they're they're not the best. Uh, they're, they're much like a, a dog or a cat. You, you see them in that perfect pose. You grab your camera and, of course, they move or they run away or they're excited because you're excited or something like that. Mm. And this is kind of the same thing where... Uh, you have to be ready. The old argument of like, well, we've got all these, you know, great camera phones and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. uh, someone will like crumble up the piece of paper and throw it across the room. It's like, did you get a picture of that? Yeah. Why not? You all have yeah. cameras, you know. I think I'd be in the same position. And I can say that I kind of was in the same position. We're seeing something. I wouldn't really want to go for my camera. Like it would be personal to me. It's not really going to be like, I want to like, I'm not one of those people who takes pictures of my food either. <laughs> like I'll take pictures of cakes, you know, just to mark a date of celebration, you know, or I'll take sure. it, or, you know, if my kids make something really pretty, I'll like take a picture of that. But I, I think for the most part, that kind of experience would be pretty personal for someone. There's not necessarily a need for everyone to take a photo of it. Well, I, I think what a lot of people go through is they'll see something that they don't understand what it is. 
and they want to try and figure it out. They're like, wait a minute. That's not exactly a plane. I know it's not a bird. It's not in the process of trying to compute out in their head. What am I looking at? Oh my gosh, maybe it's a, and by that time it's gone usually, or it's, you know, but you're, then you're so amazed to realize that it's not any of the checklist of things you have in your head. What does that leave? Uh, and you, the last thing on your mind of being just beguiled by whatever it is you're looking at is to, oh yeah, reach in my pocket and grab my phone and snap a few photos. Right. Some people have also implied that the phenomenon discourages photographs, that it somehow convinces people not to take photos. What is your thought about that implied consciousness aspect to all this, this implied uh, trickster aspect? Well, I don't know if it's necessarily that. I mean, uh, honestly, none of us would really know at this stage of anything, but uh, there, there's a lot of different theories along that line. Uh, the one I saw earlier today on a, on a stream was like, well, it's because they're vibrating at a different vibration, so they're going to look blurry. It's like, uh, that's kind of convenient, but okay. It's, it's another one of those, you know, put it in the maybe pile kind of a thing. Uh, but as far as uh, there's also the matter of just perception as humans, we can only perceive so much before we we kind of shut down i think where you're just you're just overloaded with it uh which kind of falls into my personal thing of how come all the aliens we do here describe are kind of humanoid if they're from a different planet wouldn't they look really different from us you know, you know i don't think necessarily i think people <laughs> um make that speculation but i'm not sure that they would and i, and I have a lot of reasons to think that so you're, you, the Star Trek model is correct then. Just a few cosmetic changes in there. And no, <laughs> no. My thought is, what if they're all of these different species coming from one planet? Why not? We have a ton of different species on our planet. We've got a ton of primates. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, if you go the time travel route or, or you know, parallel worlds, there's there's so right. many theories out there that, to, that you can, as soon as you come up with a, an aha, I've got this figured out. no. It may yeah. not be that at all. Just There's yeah. still so many questions about all of this. Yeah, I also was thinking about the. Uh, a lot of people have talked about everything um, in the universe essentially came from the same building blocks. If you believe the Big Bang theory and the expanding universe concept. So we would have all essentially come from the same pool of materials, right? So that's another reason I don't really discount the possibility that they could look like us, you know? <laughs> and there's Not. some biologists that have said, well, when you look at dinosaurs and the way that they evolved, that maybe the best possible end way of, you know, with mobility and, you know, manipulation of the environment and brains and everything else, uh, a biped with two arms and fingers at the end would probably be the ideal evolution of of any being it's funny though because we're so soft compared to the, the dinosaurs yeah, know. you know <laughs> <laughs> like if they were around now i'm pretty sure they'd be the ones that survived oh, you yes. know like we would be in trouble um I, although food. i guess i guess there's a possibility that they would run out of food except for the herbivores i still eat a lot <laughs> all of these conversations usually end up with the thumb and forefinger on the chin going, hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, know it seems like 
I don't know. You, you know, you hear the story that the asteroid hit and it affected the atmosphere to the point where they probably just suffocated, essentially. And you wonder, you know, what if that hadn't happened? You know, <laughs> like, would, would we have ended up, of all things, to the point that we are now? Or would we have survived? Would we have, at would mammals have gone as far? You know, probably not. I mean, you know, if you look at the head start that uh, the dinosaurs already had on us, you know, they, they're going to continue their own evolution. Mm-hmm. Some of them are, we, we postulate are, were pretty intelligent on their own. Cle- clever girl. Yeah. I will say that I t- did take a dinosaur class in college. Um, don't ask me to, to name dinosaurs. I don't remember anything, <laughs> but I mean, a, a little bit, but the main thing I, I remember is that I had the professor that believed, um, dinosaurs were the ancestors of modern birds. And he was the one, he actually was out speaking about it publicly on like history channel and stuff like that. Yep. Um, he, he believed that the birds that we have now probably came from what remained of the dinosaurs after the cataclysmic asteroid or whatever happened. <laughs> and that's, I mean, like, you know, like when you and I were kids, dinosaurs were lizards. They were cold blooded. It had to be really hot for back in those days and all that. Mm-hmm. Now they're saying birds. And it's like, I know. I, I had a brontosaurus in my childhood. Yeah. That is not a part of the current childhood. There are no brontosauruses. So sad. I, I, <laughs> probably one of the f- most formative things for me uh, as a child was, of a, you know, ba- back in the day, kids, if you wanted like cartoons, you needed to get up early on Saturday mornings to see them. And uh, there was uh, the lost and, or excuse me, land of the lost, mm-hmm. which was a live action Sid and Marty production of, uh, you know, this family, they basically fell through a wormhole into this weird closed dimension that there were, dinosaurs and strange mm-hmm. creatures running around slee stack and all, all mm-hmm. that stuff. And, uh, I didn't realize it all at the time, but I was, as I was absorbing, it's like, wow, this is multidimensional stuff. There's wormhole stuff. There's, you know, aliens. There's, it's all that stuff wrapped up into a little kid's show. It's like, this is really ahead of its time for 1974 or three, whatever year it was. It's funny. I was watching, um, Dark Crystal, which is one of my favorite movies, and it occurred to me um, in watching it again that the end is kind of about aliens, really. Like, the the Skessies that came and became two beings are aliens, and they leave like aliens at the end. Somehow, they just leave in a light. (laughs) And there's a a lot about celestial configurations and you know, I, none of that really occurred to me as a kid. But I think, you know, movies, of course, are very helpful for our imagination. But there were key time periods where it was just so much more, you know, like so imaginative. Yes. With, without it actually beating you over the head with it. It was like you, you used your imagination a little bit and could kind of flesh out some of those details. You don't you don't need to get so literal about it. Uh, yeah i mean you, i can literally count on my hand some of the best alien movies lately right we've got contact arrival war of the worlds independence day that's about it but if i were to go back right in time we had flight oh, yeah. of the navigator cocoon Close battery Smi- 
yeah batteries not included like the imagination is tremendous like so and of course that concerns me sometimes when i think about the psychology of all this like how much is our imagination how much do we need to be careful which is why i'm one of those people who really appreciates nuts and bolts as well so right. I really, I know um, I recently spoke to Grant Cameron and we had a long conversation about consciousness, right? But I really think there's a nuts and bolts element as well. Um, so where are you with that? Well, uh, I originally went into all of this as a nuts and bolts guy. That's that's my background is uh, even, even prior to my time going into the Air Force is... Uh, they're, you know, these are physical craft. They work under different scientific principles and things like that. Uh, that's, I, I feel that that's where every normie out there that has no concept about any of the deeper parts of uh, the whole phenomenon, that's kind of like the starting point. Everybody can relate to having a car and, you know, maybe checking the oil, things like, you know, those mechanical kind of things. Everybody can relate to that. Uh, and and make that kind of inference for for different concepts about it. Uh, it's when you start looking closer at some of the things and hearing some of the testimonies of people and seeing how the craft themselves act uh, and even interact with uh, their occupants, according to, the, to some stories. It's like this is more than just nuts and bolts. There, you know. I, I, I know it's unfortunate, but I think. That's where our imagination limits us, because although we have all these imaginative ideas, can we get past our own ideas? Can we get past the human notion of what's going on? Um, of course, we mentioned perception, and I definitely recognize there are things going on that are beyond our ability to perceive. And we've had much smarter people than I discussing that. You know, they write books about it. And they talk about, you know, um, we just can't even see like certain colors. We can't see, hear certain sounds. It's just beyond our ability. That doesn't mean they're not already here. They're not right in front of us. You know, it just means we just are not capable. I don't recall where it was, but it was uh, it, it, actually one of the things of, of going around like YouTube and, and all the different UFO shows that are on there is uh, the thing that I get the most out of it are some of the side conversations that happen in the chat rooms. Uh, people just throwing their ideas out about certain things. Uh, and don't get me wrong, whoever the, the, the host and the guest are on, on the actual show come up with stuff too, but it's just, it's that kind of outside the box thinking sometimes uh, things like uh, it, it basically it, it gets you thinking as well, not necessarily along the same lines, but, someone came up with some concepts I was thinking about the last several days. It's uh, again, our perception of things, you know, we have our, our, you know, narrow band in the electromagnetic spectrum we can use for our eyes and that ra narrow range of audio that we can pick up with our ears and so forth. And uh, the, the thing that we were talking about in the chat was you can only pro your brain can only process so much information coming in. And it has to filter out certain things where in levels of importance, you know, it, you, you drove to the store today in your car, you got out, you did some shopping, you drove back. How many, you know, what, 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 what did the sky look like? How many clouds were there? How many people had blonde hair and cars that passed you? There's all these things that 
that's not important to doing whatever you're doing at the time. You kind of filter out. You're seeing it. It's going past you. And uh, going along that same line of thought is maybe these things are kind of zipping around all over the place and we kind of filter them out because we're just, we're not specifically looking for them. We've, we've all heard the stories yeah. of experiencers that once you see it, you start seeing it all the time. And it's because you're paying attention, right? You right. Paying it, attention. Mm -hmm. I, my, my story, I always throw in the, to kind of match that is uh, we've all gone out and bought a, a new car or new to you car. And uh, you did your research on what the vehicle was that you wanted. And you, you, you finally get it and you're driving it around. And as soon as you start driving it around, you start noticing all the other vehicles, just like the one that you have now that you never noticed before. Those cars were always there. But since now you have one, you're going to pick it out right. of the crowd as you're driving around. Right. And, you know, it's true, you know, in psychology, you really simplify things because, you know, we just get overwhelmed. In fact, they did have they've done studies where like too many choices can overwhelm a person. It's much better to just narrow like down to like 10 choices or something or even less. And our memory can't even deal with more than seven items at one time, really. Exactly. So I think some people can go past that a little bit, but. Yeah, the brain is very simple, and so it's very possible there are things flying around or moving around. We'll talk about whether or not that's actual flying at some point. Moving <laughs> around, <laughs> yeah, moving <laughs> around uh, that, that, that are maybe even laughing at us, like they're just not paying attention. We're fine. <laughs> we can do whatever. <laughs> really, it, it really does become, you know, the person walking past the pond and they can see the fish in there, but the fish can't necessarily see you walking by kind right. of a thing. It's if you, if you made a certain movement over the water, they might detect that movement and dart away. But. Well, I mean, honestly, I will tell you my, my experience. I don't think I've told you about this before. No. Um, I was working and I was driving and I was driving clients home and I was going by an airport. And I saw, um, we'll call it a craft in the sky, right? Um, I haven't seen one that looks exactly like it in any pictures. One really close, but it was black. And the one that I saw was not. It was um, shiny and white. Um, the reason, though, I was looking was because about a week beforehand, they had had some science uh, balloons going through, mm -hmm. right? So, and also because that particular airport had really low flying craft rather often, they would literally fly right over my work van when I was going by. Um, so I was attentive to the sky at that time. Right. Um, had I not been, you know, I would have just kept going, not seen it. So it's a perfect example of what you were saying earlier. Just being more aware makes us catch things that we probably were not catching before. And to be honest, the the first uh, sighting, I guess, uh, for me was along the exact same lines. Uh, I don't know if you want to get into that now or not, but. Uh, yes, the, go uh, for it. I was. Uh, Trying to probably about nine or ten years old, fourth grade-ish time frame for it was like 1977. 
uh, I grew up in Eastern Kentucky and where our house was, was kind of up on this tall hill. Uh, and there was a big Valley kind of off to one side where there was a couple shopping centers and I could clearly see like the town, uh, steel mill off to one side. And, uh, during 1976, the year prior, they had this huge lighted, uh, flag for the bicentennial. Uh, that they had up for the entire year. And anytime I'd like walk out of the garage area, I'd always look over to, and see that big flag. Cause they, it was kind of hokey by today's standards, but it was cool in 1976, the way that they had the lights and they had them arranged so that they would turn off and on. So it looked like it was waving. Uh, but anyways, the, uh, so I had gotten used to whenever I'd walk out, I'd always look over to see the big lighted flag on top of this huge structure they had there for the plant. Uh, like a like a large aircraft hangar style structure is designed for bringing trains in and out full of like coal to feed the furnace for the steel mill and all that stuff. So it was a very large uh, building. And uh, just this one day, I happened to walk out. I look over there. Of course, the, they turned the thing off and you know at New Year's, but just gotten into that pattern of looking over to see it. And uh, there was a huge oblong white light about the size of one of those train cars that would go into the thing. So it was very large over top of that building, kind of slowly moving along the length of the entire building. And it was very bright. It was like almost like a welder flash type, right? You almost couldn't look directly at it. And I'm, I'm watching it. And it's like, it's obviously not a plane. It's moving too slowly. It's not a helicopter. I could probably hear it. And why would it be so bright? And uh, I was thinking, is this a UFO? And my sister was like inside the garage area that I'm like, yeah, you, you, you have to come and see this. You have to come and see this. Something in my head told me if I look away, it's going to be gone. But I'm, so I'm staring right at it, not taking my eyes off it, trying to motion for my sister yelling at her. You got to come out of here and see that. I, I, I think it's UFO. And you know, young kids as they are, we were bickering and blah, blah, blah. And I finally looked over. It's like, you need to go over here right now. As soon as I look back, gone. It's weird how often that happens. And you know, I, I, I was like, and of course my sister didn't see anything. And she's like, mm -hmm. well, there's a light. Oh, no, that's not it. And uh, I thought, well, wait a minute. This is so big and so bright. Someone out, there's a big shopping center nearby. Someone else had to have seen that. So I go to school the next day, like I said, fourth grade. And I start asking my friends, hey, did you see like the weird light? Me like a UFO? Yeah. <laughs> You're dumb. You saw a UFO. I became the UFO kid at the school suddenly. So bad. Uh, fortunately, it was near the, like the end of the school year for you mm -hmm. know, summer break was coming up. So I, I did, it didn't carry over to the following year. So I wasn't the UFO yeah. kid for the rest of my uh, school career kind of a thing. But mm -hmm. uh, uh, after that, it was like, okay, I, I'm going to get made fun of if I talk about this openly. So I need to be discreet. And we had a little library and, I'd look up, you know, they had a couple of like UFO and Bigfoot type books and little stuff in there. And uh, they did have, because it was considered uh, in Eastern Kentucky, mm -hmm. anything that happened in Southern Ohio or West Virginia or anything like was like regional. That was our little tri-state area. So they did happen to have a book called The Mothman Prophecies by Keel. And it's like, oh, here, maybe you'll like this. And I loved it. <laughs> it's like, all right. And it kind of started me down that path. So um, when you were in the U.S. Air Force, 
Um, I'm guessing this wasn't a conversation that you would have had, right? I've had folks ask me that before. Even other Air Force people that I know that are out there uh, on the internet today of like, Mm -hmm. it it was just something that never came up. If anything, you get a group of people just kind of like hanging around, not working and not doing anything. Uh, Somehow ghost stories would always come up. I've got some, some whoppers that I've heard over the years. Uh, The one of our KC 135s was supposedly haunted. I never experienced anything on it, but all of my friends had as far as, you know, hearing footsteps and lights and, and the whole works. It's so weird how accepting we are of ghost stories and hauntings in general. Like no one, uh, well, I won't say no one. There's not as much judgment about ghosts, yeah. right? Like it's <laughs> no, just, weird. that's just the, the easiest way to say it. But I actually have a story about that. My father was um, Department of Defense. Okay, he actually worked at the Pentagon and he worked at um, another, I think it was Fort Belvoir. Um, Anywho, I actually talked to him um, about, you know, my interest in UFOs and he told me to stop. Absolutely. This was on Halloween, by the way, and that'll be important in a moment. He said, stop, don't talk about that. You have a career that you need to protect. Do not talk about it. Yeah. And I, I immediately felt that I was seeing what people were dealing with about shut up, don't talk about it, it could hurt your career. Like I was seeing it firsthand, right? Then we go inside and about an hour later, my sister's telling a ghost story and no response from my dad. <laughs> totally cool. Go ahead and have the ghost story. That's why that came to mind. Still unfair to this day that that happened, but that's just how we work. And what else is odd to me, and this goes into what we were talking about earlier, when we talk about dinosaurs, they are actually really bizarre creatures, right? (laughs) But if you put just like a little humanoid creature that, you know, might have slightly tinted skin and bigger eyes, which by the way, our eyes are the weird eyes on the planet, guys. You you should pay attention to that. Our eyes are the weird eyes, okay? Anywho, you show someone that, they're like, oh, no, that's no way that could be a thing. But you show them a dinosaur, totally cool. Yep, like perfectly fine, perfectly acceptable. That's a psychological weird thing to me. Like, why is that okay, but that's not? Like, some of the creatures we have on this planet are so strange. I just tweeted about this recently. We have really weird looking creatures on the planet, but you show someone a picture of, let's say, a gray, and they're like, nope, uh uh, nope, couldn't be. <laughs> That's poppycock. Why would you believe such a silly thing? And like, what is that? Like, is the stigma campaign just so good that it's going to bother fourth graders and the entire country, even though we've had to believe much weirder things? Right. <laughs> it's, you know, and, and that was like when we were young and stuff like that. But now media has saturated the market where if somebody they can say they saw a movie about seeing grays and stuff like that running around. And that's that's fine, too. But if they say they really saw it, there's still a little giggle factor out there. It's gotten way better than it used to be. But 
I mean, honestly, like how many people would really freak out if NASA said they found found microbo- microbes or whatever, or maybe even fungi on another planet? Most people would be like, oh, okay, cool. That's other life on another planet, right? It's but, a big deal. But, but most people would be like, oh, well, that's cool. It's totally reasonable. But say that life had intelligence, then suddenly everyone's like, no. <laughs> right. What's, what that doesn't make sense to me. Like, come on. What's with that block that we have? Why do we block that? It's a uh, it's strange. Even like in our own community, though. I mean, our you can look around and uh, there's people that like will look at uh, Skinwalker Ranch. Skinwalker Ranch mm-hmm. is a is a big turning point for a lot of people. I know it was for me, where you kind of have to look at it as like this can't be twenty. It's the the paranormal potpourri of everything. It's got all of it there. You got cryptids, you got uh, UFOs, you got aliens, you got transdimensional looking stuff, portals, uh, you've got all of it. And there are still people that would say, well, that's 20 different things all happen to be on the same 20 acres of property, which that just sounds too ridiculous. It's gotta be one thing dealing with this. And, uh, there's still people that in our circles that will like, okay, they, they all have a line where it's like, okay, UFOs, uh, aliens, uh, but, but, but not, but not those, but not those, uh, you know, you, you start getting break, even breaking down different alien species and stuff. Right. Like, I, I don't know about those Draco guys. I don't, yeah. Know, or, no dino beavers, man. No dino. <laughs> and, and that's, the, and that's actually the, the, the point. It's like, wait a minute, that's your line? You're, you're believe okay, beings from another planet or another dimension or another time, but a strange-looking dinosaur-ish thing that's a, uh, an amalgam of it. Honestly, that's probably like in the late 1600s, early 1700s, zoologists had the same reaction to seeing uh, different things that they were pulling out of Australia. What the first platypus, they're like, oh, what? This is right. fake. You you glued stuff together. Do you think an armadillo could look like a dino beaver to somebody? Uh, scurrying around in the undergrowth at night, running around? I could probably see that. Yeah. I have a theory about Skinwalker anyway. Right. I, I mean, but that's the thing. Like, they're all just theories. They're all just conjectures, right? Uh, that's 98% of all of our stuff. Right. So mine is just that there might be something there underground. And I think they've touched on that in the show that they want to dig and find out. Um, And that that impacts a lot of things. Uh, I think some of it's defensive. And I think some of it's using electromagnetic um, waves to interact with our brains. We could say radiation. Um, Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, when we have EM radiation, our brains sometimes hallucinate. So... Um, we know that um, some people have come off that ranch hearing sounds, then that's something that happens from EM radiation also. Um, I think they call that the fray effect. So, you know, obviously it's interfering with technology there. Oh, so, yes. But personally, I think that's a defensive thing. I think that's something that's, you know, beyond our understanding that is happening there. Um, there, you know, other people have said that they do think there are portals there and maybe that's what that, that technology is doing, making portals. I don't really know. Um, and that's, it's actually kind of one of the joys of this is not knowing everything and being able to 
conjecture, you know, yep. just sitting there and speculating, but there, there's, I, I agree with you just sitting around and just spitballing ideas about stuff mm -hmm. uh, where, where, where it runs into a problem is there's always going to be someone in the group that, well, I know exactly what it is. Prove it yeah because nobody else can yeah you know? i know and i feel like i i keep reminding myself you know you can say what you want it to be you can even say your own experiences and what they lead you to believe but ultimately i don't know i don't know and it would be a little less fun if i did know right away right i think that's part right. of we like the mystery too Although I am hoping that we will all know at some point. <laughs> and honestly, that's a little bit of going back uh, to, to rewind a bit about like why some people really despise Nick West because mm. they have their belief that, uh, you know, everybody wants something to be real, but you have to be critical about, you know, what evidence you have in front of you. And if it proves to be something else, well, okay, not this time, but next time we're going to get it. But uh, there are some folks that uh, feel that somebody like Mick West, he's, you know, he's intentionally going way out of his way to make up these elaborate stories. It's like he's, he shows his work. He's, he shows his math. It's, you can't really argue that much about it. I think it's because he seems to do it as a career. I think that's what the problem is. Like someone who profits off of this issue on either side, people have an aversion to that. Now, I don't have a problem with people who have um, donations and I like or Patreons or anything like that. But I do understand where people have an aversion to the people who, for instance, charge people for an app or mm -hmm. charge people to see their content. Like there's a website that keeps being advertised to me on YouTube and they're content is advertised to me on youtube regularly and i'm not going to subscribe to that i just don't believe you should have to pay to know this information i don't think it's it should be done that way personally right. but this is society changing information that would change everyone on the planet would would be changed overnight if uh, this stuff was all revealed you know if, if everything was just here's everything and uh, mm. to say that you have the answer for a price uh, doesn't seem very, uh, very noble. I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> and also the, the answer is going to have to be appealing enough for someone to pay at that point. Right. Instead of being right. the actual answer. Right. It has to sound cool or look cool. So then you have to question, is it cool because it, makes people want to spend the money or is it cool because that's actually what's going on yeah and to be fair if if, if somebody has an app or they're they're hosting it on their own servers i mean there there is a price associated with that that they have to pay to have that stuff hosted and things like that i could understand you know a somewhat of a fee to just to cover those costs I, i'm not saying that people shouldn't uh make an extra couple of bucks here or there, or at least be able to cover their, their own losses for bringing right. that information out there. But uh, some of the prices that we see, it's like, I don't know if you necessarily have the, uh, the, the thoughts of all of mankind at uh, these prices. Yeah. I'm cool with like one-time fees and I'm cool with merchandise because merchandise is cool, right? Some of that true, stuff true. is really neat. 
Um, but it's really the monthly subscription to be able to look at our channel or join our webpage that I have an aversion to. That's the one, like I ask me to pay a hundred dollars one time. I'll do it. Ask me to pay $10 a month for 10 months. For some reason that bothers me. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's like, you got me hooked to like, I have to keep paying. I don't, I don't like it. Anywho, so that's definitely a downside to the community that a lot of people are struggling with. There are plenty of others, but I don't want to rehash them all because we could be here for an hour on <laughs> well, that. Oh, I easily. Know, yeah, for, for those who are not aware, and I, I mean, I imagine if you're listening to this, you may be. Um, Enzo was a part of the Peaceful Disclosure um, event that we had. Um, he was one of the moderators. We were attempting to put some positivity in the community um, and decidedly that did not work very well. <laughs> the The attempt was made, though. I mean, I, I thought we yeah. did an okay job. I mean, oh, no. And your part wouldn't say it a failure. Yeah, I would say your work was great. I would say our attempt was great. But I would say about uh, three days later, there was already another Twitter drama. So I was like, yeah, there's there's always going to be more drama. <laughs> so I guess that's I don't know. Maybe it's just another facet. Just it's so fascinating to people for us to have drama. It's like it would be boring to them if there wasn't some and they like to create it or something. I don't know. Like I'm I'm trying to understand it, but maybe, maybe, maybe. I'll be convinced to do the peaceful disclosure event again. I'm I'm not right now. I'm not in the positive place about it. I just thought we, it would be more effective. Uh, I understand, and uh, to be honest, I think uh, like 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 the drama that that popped up later, and any of it really, it's usually. I mean, I don't know that anyone. That's actually something psychologists should look at is just the anatomy of the troll. The, because that's what that's what all of this is. This isn't some spirited debate between two colleagues that just gets out of control. Mm -mm. This is somebody screaming a, a random person with an anonymous uh, name and no uh, avatar in their in their you know bio or anything like that, spouting off half truths and out of context quotes. And nonsensical things, and that and that can be applied to our community, music, movies, TV, any all other of, community. Yeah, all there are people media. that do that mm -hmm. that uh, would never do it in real life because mm -hmm. they'd, you know, be in the hospital probably because <laughs> no one right. would they would never say that to anyone's face ever. But it's there. There's something about that that uh, the the trolls. Do the, the that's their thing is to stir up crap, and uh, if they can get some people that happen to agree with them along the way, that just makes the mob larger, and mm -hmm. uh, then it turns into a big thing. Well, you know, maybe it really is a social media issue, and maybe the UFO community is too harsh on itself for that because it don't think it's just as you said, the UFO community that experiences that. But again, like when we have so many people trying to understand something and some are very serious about that, trying to understand it, it's where we just get into tricky waters, right? It just gets a little, a little difficult. Some people are frustrated. Some people are hurt. Oh, sure. I right. Mean, yeah. I mean, it's, everybody wants to know what, 
all of it is. Everybody wants that answer. And uh, it's one of those, you have to be patient. We have to do the research. You have to at least hear everybody out. You know, you may not agree with whatever someone's uh, opinion or speculation on something is, and that's fine. You know, you, you don't have to go to their channel. If you don't like what they say, don't go to their channel. You know, you just don't support them. Uh, you don't need to go on a, you don't need to get the, the, the pitchforks and the torches and convince everyone else that they shouldn't listen to that person either. They let everybody make up their own mind. You know, if it's, yeah. if it's something outrageous that nobody likes, then that opinion will fade off into the dark night because it's not supported. Right. And obviously there's a lot of different types of people out there. Something like in, and even in person, you would want to hang out with some of them maybe and not necessarily others. So I would expect the content that people consume would be the same, right? Oh, like yeah. there's some people I know are like great people, but I don't really watch their shows because for whatever reason, something doesn't appeal to me about a certain aspect. Right. Oh, um, sure. <laughs> and, and, you know, I just think, and then I understand why other people want to though, you know, I can, I can respect why other people would like that, you know? So I don't know. It's, it's to each their own, you know, to each their own. <laughs> and, and everyone has their likes and dislikes for, for any topic and or right. any, even a, a format of I mean, like me personally, uh, I love the YouTube universe of, of people, but even in, you know, outside of uh, ufology and, and paranormal stuff, uh, you know, I, I watch other content creators for different topics, but if it's like just a single person talking to the camera, uh, that is not my thing. You know, even if they're saying things that I a hundred percent agree with or whatever, it's just, it's not the format that I like. I, I prefer right. at least like a panel style thing, or at least, you know, like one regular host interviewing somebody different every time or several people uh, all right. talking about something that you have in common. That's how conversations get started. Uh, the lone person talking to the one webcam that it's personally not my thing. A lot of people like it and that's fine. Right. But it's it's not for me. Also, like I I see people talking to their chat, and I think that that works if they're putting what the chat is up. But when they don't put the chat up when they're doing it, I'm like I don't know what your chat is because YouTube on my Xbox isn't going to show me that <laughs> after the after it's live. So I feel like I'm left out. <laughs> so I don't know. But there's, you know, like I said, there's a variety. Like people just sometimes want to come in and, and engage with whoever's talking to them. And, you know, that's there's just a lot of things that uh, people have to figure out. Um, what, what, you know, we were trying to do is just make sure that when people are figuring it out, they're not being negative about it. Just kind of enjoy the conversation. But, again, people are frustrated because there's so much we want to know. Which um, leads me to what I was going to talk to you about before and had mentioned. Um, one thing that people really want to know is, you know, about the movement of these objects and discerning that they're not ours. Um, obviously, since you um, know something about flight, maybe you can <laughs> explain how this is different from our craft in terms of flight and maybe simplify that because this is the dojo we try to teach people in the dojo <laughs> and uh, and others have, have talked about this at length before but the basics is uh the craft that are being seen that are uh, acting strangely 
don't have wings, don't have engines, uh, visible to, that we can tell what it is, uh, don't follow basic aerodynamic uh, principles, uh, seem to be able to stop midair, hover like on a dime, make right angle turns. Uh, these are things that our current level of aviation technology are just not possible. Uh, if you were to, you know, there, there's something else going on uh, that is well beyond what, uh, what we know of as far as aviation goes. This is, this is a next step uh, beyond that because they apparently don't need, you know, aerodynamic services. They don't need to, uh, you know, worry about, I mean, even, you know, forgetting what would happen to a human being if you made a 90 degree turn, you know, while flying at high speed, you're just inertia alone, you're going to get blasted up against the side of the bulkhead of whatever craft you're in, uh, or at least go through enough G forces where you're going to get ripped out of your chair. Uh, but we're not seeing that in, in some of the observations uh, yes. uh, from our, from our Navy and stuff like that. Right now, and DJ, who um, is the host of Calling All Beings, he's also talked to me a little bit about this and lift and thrust and things like that. Can you um, present some notion of what you think they're using to move, which is might maybe more accurate than fly? I mean, what are yeah. they using to move? Yeah, te technically, it's not really flight. Flight would be you know, airflow going underneath of an airfoil and going over it sort of in a, in a roundabout way sort of creates a, a, almost a vacuum lift type effect. Over, If you were to cut a wing in half of an aircraft, you know, you'd see it, it travels further across the top, less on the bottom. Uh, sort, not exactly a vacuum, but that's just the easiest way to put it, uh, to provide lift on that airfoil. Whatever they're doing is... Uh, the theories that are out there, uh, of course, are endless, but some believe that uh, you've got some type of warp technology kind of thing, some kind of anti-gravity field, kind of something going on there, time, space, manipulation around the craft, that uh, you, it's it, it runs the gambit from being able to make those 90-degree turns. It's not actually... It doesn't have to worry about aerodynamics or even water or space because it's not actually traveling through it. It's manipulating space-time around it. You know, we've, we've all seen Star Trek and how they they basically are making the space, you know, the, the Enterprise when it fires up the warp engines, it's compressing space-time in front of it and expanding space-time behind it which if you were to look at it on a piece of paper, it's basically is sort of like it's going downhill as far as uh, that kind of idea for it to move forward. Uh, and it's got to be something along those lines. I and mean, of course, we don't have anything near that technology level. So it's all guesswork on our end on what's really going yeah. on. So, I mean, I, I have thoughts about that. Like, I feel like there's got to be some manipulation of mass of course, for us to be able to man manipulate gravity, so to speak, right? Or, or to even, you know, since we are distorting space in some way, which of course has effects on humans that are nearby related to time, um, 
there's got to be something to do with mass. Like how, like, obviously we're still trying to figure this out and there's like much smarter people than I am. Oh <laughs> like, yeah. Working and, on and, that. And me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I know, know there's, there's a, um, a whole group at APEC working on this. Right. But I mean, is, is I, from your understanding of mass, am I right that we would have to be able to manipulate mass for us to be able to do this work with space time? Well, uh, yes. For from what we understand so far on on how mass and gravity and space time all works, that's that would that would be the simplest answer. I'm not that convinced we know as much as we do uh, from my astronomy. Uh, uh, interests as a hobby uh, when you start going out like we're pretty good at dealing with stuff like at our solar system level we can set a trajectory for a space probe and it'll hit its marks it'll swing around i mean like the voyager probes from the 70s they were able to shoot it out toward it actually went around the sun and slingshot around the sun using a gravity assist from there where it's get, it gets close enough where it goes kind of whips it around to send it all the way out to Jupiter. And it whipped around that the same way out to all the other outer planets. Uh, and that was back in the seventies with basically slide rules and pencils and paper, uh, figuring out how mass works. You know, we can, we know, okay, the gravity is about this much, even though we've never physically been there, we can calculate the size of the planet by visual we know about what it's made of so we can calculate what the mass total is, which will affect the gravity and stuff like that. Unfortunately, it doesn't really scale up when you start getting outside of solar system type ideas, uh, how the stars themselves kind of move around each other. And you know, I've got a, I've got a map here of uh, the Milky Way galaxy behind us, behind me rather. And, all of those stars kind of swirl around the center of the galaxy and the galaxy itself is moving its, its own direction through space. When you start scaling up those same ideas we have as far as gravity and, and, and mass, uh, there's a big chunk of it missing when you start trying to calculate how stars move and how they interact and things like that to where that's where they've come up with dark matter. That's, that's what that is. Dark matter is merely a name, a placeholder for mass. We can't account for. There's something else going on out in the galactic uh, size arena that we haven't quite figured out yet. So there's, there's still a lot we don't know about as right. far as gravity and mass and stuff like that. I, I kind of equate it to, if you had like a, a tape measure, you know, you're, you're going to build something and, but each, each little inch marked off on the tape measure isn't actually a full inch. It's, it's only like, it, it's, it's short of an inch by like a 16th. If you're building something small inconsequential kind of thing, you know, like you're doing some wood things like if it's a little bit off when you're doing a few inches, it's okay. It's, it's not going to, you're probably not even going to notice. But when you start stretching your tape measure out over longer distances, those little things add up. Right. So that in a, if you're going to build a house or something like that, it's going to fall apart because it's going to be, you're going to have all kinds of crooked angles and stuff like that. So I, I kind of equate that okay. sort of where our knowledge base is on how that all works. Well, yeah. So I mean, it just come, what comes to mind 
when we're talking about this is a few things. One, we don't even know how our brains work fully. Oh. We don't know what's in our oceans. We still discover species. And yet here we are sitting there trying to say we know everything about physics, which is clearly wrong. In fact, scientists recently um, in looking at planets elsewhere have noticed that some orbit very oddly. Like our, our orbit... Um, or I should say our solar system doesn't always get reflected in others. Um, other solar systems do some weird things. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we have a lot left to learn. Much like uh, when, when I mean, we're really only starting out as far as this kind of stuff goes, as humanity goes, uh, that we have an example set as far as like, even just biology you know, we have a biome example set of one. It's going to be pretty tough to try and compare it to anything else because that's all we've got. We've just got Earth. That's that's all we know. Uh, there are going to be other planets out there that are radically different. Does that mean life couldn't exist there? Well, compared to our one example, maybe not. But we're pro. There's nothing saying that they couldn't. You know, under different circumstances. So. I know. And I, it goes to the psychology of it. If we found, we know there are other planets that are like Earth, right? We're working that out. We're looking for them actively. Web is a big part yes. of that. But what if we found one where they literally had humans just like our planet? Again, people would be like, no way. <laughs> no way. Only our planet. Like, what? <laughs> it's a psychology that we have that we just really think. You know, we know it all. We, this is it. Like, it's just so hard for people to get over that. <sighs> Every generation thinks, oh, we've, we, this is the apex of everything. I can't remember who it was that was in charge of the patent office, like in the uh, early 1900s. It's like, pff, we might as well shut this place down. We've invented it all. Nobody's going right. to ever invent anything new again. And uh, that was in the 19, like 19, it was like 1908 or something like that, that uh, somebody was making that proclamation. It's wow. Like, no, there's always more to learn. There's always more to discover. You just got to look a little okay. further and look a little harder. I will say, though, in, in the history of humans, although I, I do think there was some stuff going on with ancient civilizations that got buried sometimes literally that's mm -hmm. really curious like apparently they even had potentially batteries and things like that yeah um, the, the baghdad battery yeah yeah and then of course there was the movement of large stones which can't be explained and whatnot and then sculptures and that can't be explained and graving surgery they like knew to put um, metal on the brain or i should say on the skull if it was cracked like wow right so we weren't dumb back then, right? We've had some smarts, but when it comes to technology, all of that's happened really recently. And and if you look at the whole length of humanity, it's been very recent. I would say solidly about 100 years. That's not long. <laughs> we, 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 we have taken a big jump from 100 years ago, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm really necessary to go ahead and say, wow, it's from crash debris of UFOs that we've uh, created. That. I don't know if we're quite there yet. Our advancements aren't that advanced. <laughs> and to be honest, if uh, 
we'll go ahead and say Roswell because that's what everyone everyone knows that one. Uh, I don't know. It would to me that's like if when Columbus discovered the New World, he found a crashed F twenty two. How long would it take Columbus to if, even if he picked up all the pieces and parts uh, that he found on the beach uh, of the, wherever they landed and took it all back to Spain and let researchers look over it. how long till they could build their own F-22. I would say a very long time. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like we're not, we're not there. Like, of course I've read um, Corso, um, Corso's book the mm -hmm. day after Roswell. Um, and he talks about some of the things that supposedly they found and how they disseminated the information to, try to get technology to advance um but yeah i don't think things like metamaterials are really fully understood yet um they're working that out still like the really smart people coming forward and talking yep. about them like Villet and gary nolan still don't really know why those isotopes are the way they are like why and that's that's alleged uh, UFO debris, I might add. Like we we right. just we we really do suspect that's what it is, but we don't know why they are that way. We don't. And or how it was made? <laughs> like, well, yeah. How? How, they, how why? Make this? Yeah. How? Why? The expense that would be involved, like, would be amazing to us, and nothing to perhaps another civilization, which may not even need money. They might not use money. You know, like. <laughs> that, that star trek utopia that right. uh, some today is like oh we could do that today it's like no we're not anywhere close enough to do that today i know imagine yeah imagine how much progress we would have to make to be at a point where we would not need money you'd have to live in a post-scarcity world it'd be like star trek where basically unlimited free power to power everything mm. you have to have replicators that can make anything mm -hmm. from tools to food to, to, to anything it's turning other mm -hmm. matter into something else mm -hmm. uh and you know to the to the point where your replicators can make more replicators for somebody yeah. else and mm -hmm. uh everybody had that in their home you know what are you gonna you wouldn't be slaving away doing uh work at a factory or anything like that anymore so all of those jobs are gone. So what are all these people going to do? Uh, you, you can go the, the Wall-E route where you uh, turn very fat watching your little TV in your face on the couch floating around, which uh, I, I've kind of been working on that uh, dynamic myself here lately, but uh, I'm working on it back at the gym right now, <laughs> trying to get rid of the, the Wall-E body. But, uh, or much like they did in Star Trek, you... Uh, you know, you pursue those uh, artisan uh, paths to, to do something that you would always wanted to do, and which right. included a military style service to go out and explore and meet, you know, new civilizations and such. Right. Well, maybe that's maybe that's an indication that our guest or whatever you want to call them is an advanced civilization maybe they are able to just go out and explore now because they've tackled all these other issues and, and that really is it i mean you know it's to to travel the expanse because space is big mm -hmm. really big <laughs> much mm -hmm. bigger than most people think and uh to to figure that out 
is going to take a while to, for, for anybody that uh, isn't just giving it, I guess, outright. And even then, it's going to be expensive to make. It's going to be expensive to do until you can start coming up with newer technologies to make it less expensive. Or, you know, you get you get to your Star Trek replica as well. We'll just make a new one, you know, make up all the pieces and parts, put it together. Okay, we're, we're, we're good now. Uh, you're still going to have to deal with natural resources of some type but you've got all of space or our asteroid belts are full of stuff oh yeah they're already planning on mining them <laughs> like they're they're working on it now and it's actually a little scary to me and i think they touched on that on that recent movie on netflix don't look up like how dangerous that could potentially be to mess around with something that's flying near our planet <laughs> Yep, you don't really want to uh, knock something off course and have it collide with the planet. But you you start getting out into the asteroid belt and stuff like that. I mean, uh, that's I mean, you we're, you're talking we're talking the expanse now, going out and mining uh, for for that kind of stuff. And it's I mean, we we have like little pockets here and there across the globe. When then you start getting into politics and then environmental issues for digging all this stuff up, uh, which would you know wreck the environment and everything else. That stuff's sitting out there waiting, and we're not. There's no environment to ruin. There's no uh, contested space where uh, you you can't come mine here. It's a rock out in space. We'll go mine it if we want to, kind of the, a thing. The thing that I keep thinking though is we only call it valuable because we put a value on something right right so like for instance gold to some people means nothing like it's just a rock <laughs> you know right. or, or i should i'm sorry it's just a metal right it's and it's not any more significant than an, another substance like a rock is what i meant you know it's it's really nothing to it but to other people it means a lot because of the color because it's shiny or because how it can be used in science or whatever we put the value on it we make it worth something um but i just imagine if we just didn't like what if we just said what was valuable was making sure we all had food or making sure we all had homes or making sure we could all just spend our day painting or reading a book or what if the value was intellect, you know, just being smarter, you know, yeah. I just have, I have these ideas, but I know, I know we're running over. So I have, uh, I know <laughs> I had more questions. So I want to get to at least a couple of them. Go um, ahead. I want to make sure you get a chance to talk about um, your second sighting. Um, before we close up to sure to that's it, it was actually uh less dramatic than my first one when i was a kid but uh this would have been about 98 or 99 i don't recall exactly uh, those those years were fuzzy for me because i traveled a lot but uh, one instance where i was uh visiting a friend that lives in the middle of wichita kansas which, uh, like a lot of Midwestern towns, is very spread out. Uh, but uh, he he lives in a small little neighborhood, and all the all the neighborhoods are all kind of stacked together, all pretty close. So there's a lot of light pollution. So for an astronomy nerd like me, it, it, I hate it. But uh, anytime I go outside at night, I'm looking up. I, I I'm looking at the stars and all of that stuff. 
And uh, this instance, I was I was over visiting with him, and we were gonna step out on the back in his backyard and have a cigar and shoot uh, some tall tales towards each other. I walk outside. Uh, he needed to do something else, so it was just me in the backyard. I'm looking up at the sky, and like I do, and uh, I caught movement, like directly overhead, just something moving. I look straight up, and I sort of can make out something. There were no lights. There was no sound. It was just a dark shape moving away from moving to the east from where I was, which was the direction I was facing and just was overhead and moving away from me. And it took me several seconds just looking to even understand if I was actually seeing anything. It was like an optical illusion because it was like a dark, dark gray on a black background. You're not, you can't really make out the edges. You can just tell it's something and it's moving. Uh, and because uh, you know, I, I'm an astronomy nerd, I, I, I was like, okay, I see the direction it's moving. I saw a little cluster of stars and those stars were disappearing as it moved. So it was something solid. From watching it and seeing stars appear and disappear, it seemed to be triangle shaped. And again, no lights at all. Everybody that sees a black triangle says there's, you know, the three points have the lights on them and a big light in the middle. I didn't see anything like that. And the other odd thing was, and, and again, this is my, my aviation background. If it was a triangular craft, I would think it would move so that one of the points would be the, the forward thing, like, like, like an arrowhead, the way an arrowhead would fly through the air, that the point would be forward. What I saw, it was like one of the flat sides of the triangle was forward. Like that was the leading edge from what I could tell. Uh, so that was very unusual as well. And uh, probably lasted about eight to 10 seconds of seeing it until it got it. I think the only reason I could see it was the lights from the city were kind of glowing enough to where I could sort of see the bottom of it. Uh, no detail at all, just mostly just a shape. I mean, to be honest, it could have been manta shape. Someone brought that up uh, when I was telling the story yeah. not long ago. And it's like, maybe, mm -hmm. but uh so that, and that's kind of it. It's just, I, I can't explain it. I don't know what it was. It wasn't an aircraft. It didn't make any sound. I don't know how big it was. So I don't know if it was something big, really high or something small, closer to the ground. Uh, it was just a shape as mm -hmm. odd as that sounds. Well, this, you know, it's not that odd if you do the research, right? Cause you know, right. other people are seeing these. Um, you hear the stories, you know, the Phoenix lights, you know, people talk about looking up and seeing the underbelly of the craft, right? Yeah. Um, so, and then it, it was structured in a way that some people call it a triangle. Some people say maybe a boomerang. So it's kind of tough on that one. But, you know, like people are seeing these and the triangle is one of those things that's really interesting to me because, um, of all the ones that we see that kind of yell potentially reverse engineered also, you know, like right. it's, it's the triangle <laughs> because on a lot of our um, really quick, I, well, maybe quick isn't the right word. A lot of our 
stealthier craft are also triangular. And if you look at what the U.S. Air Force is trying to do in the future, it's even more triangular. You know, like it's right. it's less uh, arrow and more of a triangle than ever. Right. It's like like you can see it if you look at um the people who look at it's next gen. That's what they call them. Next right. gen. The, right. So the, yeah, the standard half, body design of like a tube with wings shooting off of it and little engines hanging off of that. Uh, right. They've really gotten away from that design to just that, that smooth lines right. you know, the, that uh, everything blends, everything's made out of like composites and stuff like that. So uh, right. radar can't pick it up and all that jazz. So it's now very it's different be, looking these days. Right. And to be clear, obviously the ones that um are not making a sound are not ours because we're not there no. but but like <laughs> but my point is that seems to be the one we try to emulate you know that one that particular craft we try to emulate it so much it's really interesting to me you know even even back in the um the 40s the flying wing people suspect that was an emulation especially because if anyone has looked into Roswell, some people have heard the craft that crashed in Roswell looked like a flying wing. Um, so Kenneth there's some Arnold has that picture that, right. That drawing looks, that looks like kind of a, a bat wing looking type shape, mm -hmm. kind of rounded in the front and scalloped right. in the back. Looks exactly like a flying wing. However, they didn't behave like a flying wing. Cause one thing he talked about and the reason people thought it was a saucer was that they were skipping on the water is what he was saying. Right. And they misinterpreted what he said and said, oh, they, he meant they're a saucer. No, he, he was saying that they looked like essentially a flying wing skipping on the water. Um, we wouldn't have done that. <laughs> we wouldn't yeah. have done that. We wouldn't have messed <laughs> with the water. But anywho, I guess my point is of all of the craft, we know that there's some triangles that we have and then there's triangles that they have. And I feel like we're trying to emulate that one. That's possible. It's definitely the, for, for smaller air, for fighter style aircraft. Well, and I guess for, for bombers as well, they're, they're leaning more towards that streamlined kind of shape. So I, I can see where you're, where, where, what you're saying with that. You're, you're right. Right. I mean, and I think that, you know, the, the flying wing concept looked amazing, but we kind of dropped that one pretty quick. And and for those who are not aware, they definitely tried to do actual saucers. I imagine everyone knows oh, about Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I imagine everyone knows about the Avro car, which had a few other names from Canada. And um it's it's been declassified. It was an attempt at doing a saucer. It didn't work. And then also they did a flapjack, but that one didn't really fly much. Like I think it what had like two local, yeah, yeah, very, very little flights. Flapjack looks a lot like a saucer, but it really just wasn't used much. But like they dropped all of those. Like they tried to do stuff with them a little bit and then they dropped them all. Because um, a, a saucer shape isn't really aerodynamic. Which right. Is what we still have to deal with we either right. we don't have that magical whatever it is drive that they're using for propulsion right. that uh, allows them to basically ignore air and everything else around it 
Right. Because because we're not flying. You know, like, I mean, they're not. I'm sorry. They're not flying. I said, they are not. <laughs> we're just moving. I said, oops. Anywho. So <laughs> my point is, <laughs> you know, obviously they have something different from us, um, but we keep trying to do it. Like we keep trying to emulate it. And I think right now we're sticking with triangles because it seems to be the one that works the best for us. It is that in-between step, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? But, you know, maybe we'll start working on Tic Tacs next because, you know, that seems to be one that is a really interesting Popular people. model. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's been around for a long time. They've seen, they call them cigars, cylinders, rods um butane tanks but now they're calling them tic tacs so i mean obviously it's a consideration and i don't know if you're familiar with um any german engineering but there was a guy named alexander lippisch who um was brought over because of paperclip um, mm -hmm. and he worked at uh, white sands and he did some weird 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 looking shapes for craft, including a kind of a half cigar. Um, and he also was known for doing a triangle and he did something called a comet. He's, he's worth looking into if you haven't heard the, the of comet. Him. I remember, I, I don't remember a triangle from him though. I have to go look. Him oh back yeah. Up. Yeah. Look up his triangle. So, hmm. you know, he, I really, when I first came into this, I was so convinced it was all man-made <laughs> it really was and i was looking at him quite a bit and and that's the thing is uh you know are there man-made craft that have been backward engineered i don't know uh if if they if there have been if there have been craft that have like that how long have they been around how long have they known all of this these are all the questions that come up uh that many people have that right. uh, rightfully so it's like wait a minute we're still using you know, 1942 V2 technology, basically to launch satellites and stuff into space and people up to the international space station. Why, why are we doing that? If we've got this magical anti-grav supercraft that uh, can zip and zap all over the place. Well, I hate to say this because it's such a sad thing to bring up, but I would think if Russia had, this technology like so many people have surmised that the situation in ukraine would be very different right now um, the, uh, when i joined in december of 1985 uh, the cold war of course was still going on and uh, we were very concerned about the same exact vehicles that we're seeing <laughs> rolling into uh, ukraine the last few weeks it's the same stuff pretty much it's not uh, there's been no technology jumps there from what we're seeing today and honestly russia was um i wouldn't say necessarily under putin or maybe not when he's watching and russia has been very good at disclosing stuff to us actually about ufos um looking at the foyas there's a lot to do with russia engaging with us on the topic including telling us um what kind of groups they started um, I feel oh, I'm gonna forget his name. A very significant person was asked by the CIA to go start a Russian UFO group. Ah, look, I, I tweeted it once, I can't remember right now. Um, 
but he was he was uh, whatever. I'll get back to that later. But at some <laughs> we'll, point, we'll leave, a, we'll leave a blank space in the interview. We can go back and say no. I won't be able to do that. But I I know I just can't remember his name. He was the skeptic that a lot of people look to because he was so smart. And anywho, they bucked him to go start the Russian program, and he was like, okay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, and and some people think he wasn't as skeptical as initially thought because he wrote so much about it. But his name is not jumping into my head right now, so it's not really helpful, is it? But anywho, I guess I guess my point is that you know Russia was actually all over the foyers. Um, it was pretty uh, clear to be involved in communicating with us, um, and so was China. China's all over the FOIAs engaging with us on this topic, including their big conferences. They had huge conferences about UFOs, international conferences. So. Yeah. It's kind of surprising, really. I wouldn't think that, but it's like, oh, geez, there it is. Right. I know. It's all in writing. Um, and their first public admittance, which, you know, you have to wonder, like, no one talks about that. China claimed that a million people at least saw a spiral in the sky. It was a huge event across China, and yet we definitely don't have photos. Yeah, there's. I don't necessarily believe everything that gets reported out of China. There's. Mm -hmm. There was a space.com did a report uh, like about a month or so ago on a story that uh, the Chinese had developed this low gravity like and basically they the way that it was worded on space.com is they created this like anti-gravity room that you could go in and you know experiment with all the stuff at zero i was like what no way and i was like what is their source and it was basically one source from a small chinese newspaper that i went and found it online did some more research and what their references were and it's like, this is all bunk. None of this would work. None of these, there, this is nonsense. This is all fiction. Okay, so I know that we're way past the time I gave you. And so, so I'm just going to ask you one more deep question. And while oh, you're boy. answering this question, I'm going to, oh, it was, was it Clark? Arthur C. Clark? No. Man, I thought I had it. <laughs> I think so, but maybe not. Oh, well, just answer this question for me. We'll forget who that famous person who started a <laughs> Russian program for the CIA was. It's not important, right? Anywho. Um, and so here's your deep question. Last final thought. Since you like astronomy, what is outside of the universe? Oh, boy. A loaded question. Depends on uh, your point of view. Is the edge of the universe, you know, ever expanding, so forth and so on, as, as far as we know? Is there anything past that? Well, for what we consider, you know, mass and gravity and everything else, I'd have to say no. There's just there's nothing beyond that. You know what what was there before the Big Bang? There was this single point that explodes you know, to, to keep it simple, what was around that sing single point? Well, technically nothing because 
space didn't exist mass all that stuff none of that existed so it's it's one of those what's beyond it uh, i was actually uh listening to a, a show where they, they had some experiencers on there and they uh, astral travel was their big thing and talking with uh, with others and uh, the individuals mentioned how hey i'm going to astral travel out to the edge of the universe and uh, had a very vivid description of like weird tentacle type things uh, kind of expanding out and then just stopping and uh, decided that uh, I'm going to take that one step further and go past the edge and immediately was transported out back to his body. Like, sorry, you went too far. <laughs> I was like, interesting. Because yeah, to be cause... honest, if, if I would think about it, of how it would work, it's like, yeah, that would be the correct answer. That's how it would work. Cause it's, there's, there's nothing past that. Well, see, that's in, impossible to my brain. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, if you went out of bounds on a video game, you just kind of got snapped back as what that was his description. Basically. I guess. Yeah. I think my brain is, there's no, no, just being without a cause, just like the big bang itself. And there's no, existence without something around the existence which is whatever was in around the big bang when it happens and then there has to be something to me to me there has to be something out of the universe right and the problem with that is then what's around that and then what's around that and it keeps right. going and right. like <laughs> like and i just can't accept nothing you know what i mean maybe well, the, our the one the one thing that about uh it's an idea that's been kicked around and it goes in and out of fashion, all, all of these different ideas, because there's no way we can ever prove it. Uh, at least not right now. <laughs> Someone else may come along and tell us what they know, but uh, that uh, event, like if you had like the super duper spaceship and just went one direction and kept going in the universe, passing all the galaxies, you got up to that edge because you know it hasn't expanded any further that's the limit you can go because of just gravity itself the whole gravity of the entire universe is holding you back along with everything else so you would just get to that point where you just full power to the you know the engines scotty you just can't go any further because there's it, everything's holding you back because you'd have that's where that mass and of the entire universe holding you back it's funny when you when you say that I think about how when I I play video games sometimes I play like a a game where there's a a world that's supposed to be essentially endless but then you run into an invisible wall oh. and you just you just can't get past it but you know it's a wall right you know that right. you can't it's just a but that doesn't mean the game is not inside of something it is it's inside my xbox <laughs> or right. you know it's exactly or it's inside a you know a server or something but it's just it gets complicated when you start thinking about it but i cannot accept the idea that there's not something around the universe and then what happens is you hear things about other universes multiverses being around the universe you even hear scary things like possibility of collisions with other universes and you know yeah. <laughs> and it just it gets really 
scary. But then I also get into that men in black concept of like, what if our whole universe is just a little tiny dot on like on, let's say, a, a flower, like also in Horton Here's a Who, Horton right? Here's a who. Right, our little universe is just a little tiny dot, and there's a ton of other little tiny dots, and then, then the that flower is inside a bigger universe, and then that universe is a little tiny dot, and you know it just goes on and on. It's just like you start you start thinking about it, and it can make you crazy. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Uh, yeah. I, I guess the popular notion of it is uh, bubbles in a bubble bath where each bubble is an entire universe kind of thing. Sometimes right. the bubbles interact, you know, they've got mm -hmm. sides that push up against each other. Right. Sometimes the bubbles expand and absorb other bubbles. Sometimes they just pop. So under that model. <laughs> right. I know. And then is it really a multi-dimension if it's another universe? Like, is it really because couldn't they be independent of us rather than a different dimension? They're just another physical body that's next to us. You know what I mean? And if it's interdimensional, it literally could be right next to you, but you right. couldn't conceive of it. Of course, it's because right. it is, and it's whether we want to consider it out of phase or a different vibration or or, or however you want to visualize that in your head. Right. So there's, I don't think people talk about this as much, but like the interdimensional concept, they could be right on top of you right now. Right. But, but right. with another universe, not necessarily they're right next door, but they're still different from us. And oh yeah, they, they could somehow rub against us, like you said, and we might be getting something from another universe. Who knows? But no one talks about that. <laughs> Well, and that's the and you know some people do bandy it around if it's if it's, if we're gonna say well maybe they're not from a different planet that's you know hundred of light years or so away that's just too far even with like super duper Star Trek engines uh, for that to be would it it would be easier to say somehow that they could traverse between dimensions to get here which if you're gonna get interdimensional then everything's on the table because who says their universe they're coming from a separate universe the laws of physics may not even work the same in that other universe as ours you know right. and the same for us if we were to go there it's like oh crap my the batteries in my you know laptop just fried because it does electricity doesn't work like that here right you know? it's so it's so fascinating all the different possibilities but I think my my end message that I'm going to say is you've mentioned Star Trek several times and yeah. for those for those who are not Star Trek fans it is worth noting that many things seen in Star Trek have come to pass <laughs> you know our, like our, our cell phones are way better than anything Kirk and Spock ever use <laughs> right and then and so of course you have to think you know science fiction is sometimes a reflection of science future you know so you know all those things about warp drives and interdimensional and other beings you know Star Trek may be telling us what's coming <laughs> we don't know Apparently they got that humanoid alien thing worked out. That, oh uh, yeah, they got plenty of those, including ones that could be considered 
draconian if you look at klingons right because they have like yeah. little little bumps anywho yes. <laughs> so i want to thank you again so much for coming and talking to me i'm sorry we ran over but there was just so many different things i probably could keep talking for hours um but i wanted you to get a chance to say um where you can be found before we close oh. out uh I'm at uh, Enzo underscore Cyril, that's C-Y-R-I-L-L-E, uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Full disclosure, I, I, I don't really understand how Instagram works. So Twitter would be the better thing. <laughs> yeah, nobody, I don't know if anybody understands. But uh, uh, if you like to, uh, I usually post uh, space technology news. Uh, originally, I was, I was basically doing... Uh, star charts and things like that in space to kind of help people to understand, Oh, this is a meteor shower. So it's not a UFO. If you see a meteor shower right now, and it kind of expanded out to uh, anything I retweet about the uh, latest telescope, uh, the web telescope, uh, everybody goes berserk over it. It gets a lot of traffic. So a lot of our, a lot of our community is very interested in it, even though they may have different ideas of how it all works and how it all got there. They, they still want to know, which is great. And we appreciate your participation in the community, of course. Thank you so much. You're very positive. And you're definitely um, one of those people educating people. And we appreciate that. So thank you again for coming and talking today. Thank you very much, Deb. I love it. Well, great. And I'm definitely going to have you come back, by the way. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go ahead and close out. So goodbye, everyone. Have a wonderful day or evening, morning, whatever time it is for you, future human, past human, so on and so forth. Um, this was Deb from Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings um, podcast network. If you're looking for me, you can find me at Study of UAPs on LinkedIn, Twitter, that Instagram that I also am not really familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> um, YouTube with the Calling All Beings crew and Facebook and Twitter. Did I mention Twitter already? Definitely on Twitter. So goodbye, everybody. <laughs> 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 <laughs>